Hello and welcome to The Pulse. In part two of this week's show, why shouldn't district council meetings allocating public funds be open for public scrutiny or even to reporters? But first, former Governor Chris Patton in his only television interview during this week's visit to Hong Kong spoke to The Pulse. Among other things, he's here to open an exhibition at the Hong Kong Maritime Museum called Mapping Ming China's Maritime World, the Seldom Map and other treasures from the University of Oxford. Lord Patton, I, I wonder if you sense a, a certain irony about the fact that you're coming here with a map that was probably seized from a Chinese merchant vessel showing the sort of trade routes of which China was using to open up its business to the world and here we are in 2014, quite a similar story, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think what this astonishing map shows, and it's been beautifully restored, is that globalization isn't a new story. Um, this is showing um, a world which um, the great Chinese explorers of the early 15th century um, and earlier would have recognized, and it's placing um, China at the heart of a web of commercial and cultural links with the rest of Asia and beyond. But I mean one of the interesting things about the map is it doesn't, as current maps and other maps after showed, doesn't show China as being at the centre of the world which seems to be the current trend. No, th there is another map um, which I've just seen here which I think was from Matteo Ricci's time, it's a, I think a Japanese copy of Ricci's which does uh, show um, China more central. And there's an, another one of about the same period which shows, which shows China even more smack in the middle of things. Um, but this map shows the reality of commerce rather than what people would have said uh, rhetorically. Um, and I think that's an expression of, of reality. Um, we use lots of cliches about um, uh, globalization today. We talk about the interconnectedness of the world. Well, the Selden map shows that very clearly. I mean, you, you, you mentioned those connections. I, I'm just wondering about the, the uh, British connection w with Hong Kong. I mean, you're in, in Britain most of, most of the time. Do you think people still think about Hong Kong, relate to Hong Kong at all? Well, first of all, they do if they've ever been here because which more and more have because they stop off for a day or two on the way to Australia or New Zealand or elsewhere and the wow factor comes in it kicks in at that point and secondly I think that Hong Kong leaves a particular glow um, when we look part back at our history it's not particularly because of us but it's because of what a largely immigrant community has created it, it, itself this astonishing and um, vibrant economic community. I mean, I can't help space. but point out that when you came into this building just now, you were surrounded by people holding the Union flag and the old 
colonial Hong Kong flag. I mean, how, how do you feel about that in, in the SAR? Well, I, I, I think it's, um, it's an expression of um, nostalgia, which um, one should uh, take note of without regarding it as a serious political movement for the future. But I suppose it's one of the more uh, radical um, uh, examples of the real sense in Hong Kong of citizenship, which I've talked about quite a lot in the past. Um, Hong Kong does feel special, and you can be um, a stonking, um, really passionate Chinese patriot and still feel that you're a Hong Konger. Um, I'm, I'm delighted that the word Hong Konger is now appearing in the Oxford English Dictionary. Just now? Just now, yes. Yes. I mean, th there's also another anniversary, as it, as it so happens. I mean, this is 30 years since the signing of the Sino-British Joint Declaration. H how do you think that has gone? I think that um, it's gone pretty well, not perfectly. Um, I've always taken the view, as you know, um, that we should have done rather more before we uh, left Hong Kong to entrench um, political change and greater accountability. I think some of the things we entrenched, um, like the rule of law, like uh, freedom of the freedoms you associate with a liberal and plural society, I think they've all worked. I think we could have done more. Do you think so? I mean, people say that they're diminishing rather rapidly. Well, there are certainly um, uh, seem to be assaults on some of them, um, and those have to be resisted um, with uh, firmness and appropriate grace, because um, I, I, I think that there is a deep sense in Hong Kong of the relationship between uh, economic freedom and political freedom. And I think people understand that if you whittle away at one, if you erode one, you affect the other. Uh, and not to understand that is absurd. Somebody the other day, um, one of our parliamentarians, was in a delegation which came back from Hong Kong. And he told me a story, he said that um, one or two uh, businessmen he'd spoken to had said Hong Kong had, be f had been fine until um, the last British governor introduced politics into Hong Kong. I mean, <laughs> where do these people come from? <laughs> politics is part of any educated, vibrant community. Um, and uh, that is sooner or later going to produce the same consequences in Hong Kong as in every other prosperous community. One thing people occasionally say to me is, aren't you concerned about the consequences of the ownership of parts of the media and whether or not that will lead to more self-censorship? Well, we have problems about media ownership in the United Kingdom. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. <laughs> and the consequences that has occasionally from the, from the editorial line taken by a newspaper. And you just have to be as a democratic citizen, um, you just have to keep your eyes open and uh, think for yourself and find, find, a, find a way of reading about the news which you can depend on as being pretty impartial.
Do you think Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong is, is actually going to happen? Yes, um, uh, I do, and I suspect um, sooner rather than later, because even though um, democracy um, or the advance of democracy has been given um, a bad press um, in the last few years, I still think that it's, um, to use a sort of Marxist um, expression, uh, an implacable and ine inexorable force in history. Because if people have more choice about uh, their pension, about what they do with their, with their cash at the end of the week, it's inevitable that sooner or later they want um, to have more choice about who runs them and they want the people who run their society to be accountable. Um, they want greater openness, greater transparency as the ways of policing um, government. And I heard these ideas expressed with greater clarity than most Western politicians manage in a speech that Wen Jiabo gave in the Royal Society in London a couple of years back um, when he made a speech about the importance of political reform as a way of ensuring that economic development is sustainable. I greatly admire what China has achieved in the last few years. I've never been one of those who regard it as a threat. I've always been somebody who believes that China doing less well would be a threat. Um, but I, I can't be the only um, person in, left in the world who thinks that economics has political consequences. Marxism certainly seems to hold that view. Well, Marx didn't. <laughs> and can I just ask you finally, I, uh, it's a corny question, but that doesn't stop me. What do you really miss most about not being in Hong Kong? I've never been in a job before where you could make things happen to the same extent. You'd make a decision about, I don't know, um, an infrastructure project or um, the development of health care or the development of higher education and you could see the consequences of that policy decision before your eyes. Um, you could look at um, uh, a piece of uh, derelict land um, or, a, or a stretch of water and two or three years down the road that, was, that had changed. Um, so just being able to translate policy very radically and dramatically and rapidly into, um, into uh, real contributions to people's well-being. Um, that was important. And it's not vanity to say that, I don't think. Secondly, what I really do miss is the sense of um, ambition, of personal aspiration, which wasn't, I don't think, at the expense of social solidarity to use a rather well, European um, remark. Um, uh, before I came, I remember people saying that Hong Kong was one of the few places where people weren't jealous of the success of others. And I think, by and large, that's remained true, and I hope it continues to be um, true. Well, Lord Patton, thank you very thank much. You very much Welcome back. 
Just a couple of weeks ago, a district councillor and journalist were removed from a district council meeting where they were discussing the use of public funds to promote civic education. The incident raises not only the issue of whether the removal of the councillor was dealt with appropriately, policeman handled him out of the room, but also whether the public should have a right to know how public money is being spent. On the 6th of March, a district council meeting ended in a wave of arguments as Central and Western District Councillor Ted Hoy was carried out of a meeting by police. He'd invited reporters and an assistant to film. Chairman Lee Ji Hang told reporters, whose details he'd already demanded, that this was a closed-door meeting. The reporters were asked to leave after most members present voted against their stay. The District Council's standing orders don't contain guidelines on whether such meetings should be open to the public, even if they involve allocation of public money. The police were called because one member, Ng Wing-yan, claimed to feel threatened by the cameras near him. Another clip, claiming to provide the real version of why Hoi was carried out, appeared on YouTube. Security officers tried to force Hoi to leave but were unsuccessful. The police said they intervened only to prevent any injuries. They say it's their duty to take action when someone is disturbing the peace, whether it's in a private or public place. On the 11th of March, another meeting was held to continue the discussion. This one was open to the public. The chairman refused to explain why. The aim of the meeting, dominated by pro-Beijing members, was to examine applications for use of public funds of up to $250,000. The money has been granted by the Home Affairs Bureau to promote the basic law in response to the constitutional reform consultation. Three groups applied to use the fund, 
One of them allegedly has a conflict of interest with some members of the working group. As I uh, reviewed the applications, I, I saw something that is very strange. And I think the public should know that uh, the applying parties and they are members of the of the Central and Western District Council and in that particular working group examining the applications. So there are serious conflict of interest. Members of the Association of the Hong Kong Central and Western District Limited, which was jointly organizing the promotions, were also found to be members of the examining group. According to a letter dated last year, Nguyen Yan was the managing vice president, while Li Chi Hang and Jackie Cheung were its honorary or volunteer legal advisors. Instead of abstaining, they claimed that they would declare their interests before the vote. Even so, it remains a concern why the meeting was closed. The Home Affairs Department says it's up to individual district councils to decide. More worryingly, this particular meeting seemed even more secretive than most. When you decide how to use the public money, well, you should know there must be transparency and all the information got to put well, in front of the public, so uh, everyone can know the reason, well, how you make the decision. So, uh, I, so I see no reason at all, even for the privacy of those bitter. This week, the issue was raised at a meeting of the LegCo panel on security. According to the Home Affairs Department, the meeting was closed because the chairman had considered the actual circumstances and consulted the members. It also said reporters left of their own free will. But that's not what the reporters themselves say. But this isn't the only meeting involving public money to have been held behind closed doors. The Administration and Finance Committee of the Kuaiching District Council says it has held such closed-door meetings for at least the past two years. Last year, it sent out a notice to all members stating that to encourage them to speak freely and to withhold sensitive tendering information or details of complaints, all working group meetings should be held behind closed doors. They may consider uh, the meeting may include or may deal with some sensitive materials like uh, terms and conditions of the tender and quotations. That's why they will try to make the uh, meetings held closed off. So this is, I, I, we can understand that. And especially when the meetings will deal with some, uh, the privacy of some bodies. In a recent general meeting, one member proposed changing the practice and opening up all meetings, except those involving sensitive commercial information or issues of privacy. That still leaves three-quarters of the members in the meeting with the power to decide whether subjects under discussion are sensitive and should involve closing the doors. Why can't we 
，一定要嘅。根本我諗咁多同事都冇同邊個公司有利益啦，過咗十幾年，唔識嘅都係識嘅，呢、這個唔係叫利益，係識得嘅啫。咁但係都係要公開招標噶嘛。講到好似即係好開放啦，但係有一條尾巴留咗出嚟嘅，即係 D 嗰行一 D 嗰行，四分三委員同意屬敏感性質嘅資料就可以閉門啦。咁呢個係即係你話可以話留個活口，留個誒即係出口位，可能俾大家啊覺得特別嘅情況，可能舉手去通過。講緊呢啲細節，究竟一啲咁樣嘅即係財務啊，有冇一啲中標者嗰啲名啊咁樣要公開透明呢？其實以往有機制咧，係講緊咧保護一啲即係關於價錢啊投標者嗰啲咁樣嘅機制。However, it isn't easy to check how sensitive the tendering information is, or whether meetings contain sensitive information when discussion documents are not placed online. Maybe well, even we put the information in the network, nobody will see it. But that's not the point. The point is that the information are always available down there. So whether you want to see it or not, it's your option. We'll leave you with more images of former Governor Chris Patton in Hong Kong and see you at the same time next week. Until then, goodbye. See.